Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Emmy Neatfield is the author of Acceptance, a memoir. Emmy's memoir of her journey through foster care and homelessness, interrogating the true meanings of resilience, ambition, and success, was written after she graduated from Harvard in 2015. She worked as a software engineer, an experience she wrote about in her viral New York Times essay after working at Google, I'll Never Let Myself Love a Job Again. Emmy is passionate about mental health, helping young people navigate their careers, and the connection between engineering and creativity. A dynamic sought-after speaker, she leads conference keynotes and presents at universities and companies alike. Her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in The Atlantic, Teen Vogue, Fortune, The Information, and other publications, and has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize and noted in the Best American Essays. She lives in New York City with her family. 
Welcome, Emmy. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your beautiful memoir, Acceptance. Thank you so much for having me, Zibi. Oh, it's my pleasure. Your life, oh my gosh. First of all, you're a great writer, and as you must know, but you are. And second of all, like all that you have been through and that you write about and that you overcame in your teenage years and all of it, it's just amazing. And I really appreciate you sharing all of it. And I don't know, it was very, very powerful. Really great. Thank you so much. That means a lot. So tell listeners about your life, your book, why you decided to even write a book about your life and what you've sort of gotten out of that. Yeah. So I started writing Acceptance when I was in high school. Shortly after, I had tried to summarize my childhood and adolescence for these college admissions committees. And that was a really hard thing to sum up in one or two pages. Like a lot of people, I had a dysfunctional family. I grew up in Minnesota. We were evangelical. And when I was nine, my parents separated. And it threw my family from like a middle-class existence really into chaos. Both of my parents had severe mental illnesses that really emerged in the aftermath. And my mom, who got full custody, struggled with compulsive shopping and hoarding. And so instead of getting help for her problem herself, which you know she couldn't even recognize it was a problem, I was medicated. I developed mental health issues. I was hospitalized a bunch of times, eventually went to this locked facility for troubled teenagers before going into foster care and then dealing with homelessness during breaks at an arts boarding school. But the whole time I was really focused on, like, I want to get out of here and college is my escape and my way out. So I write about that journey and kind of this wild system of college admissions that we have in this country where for so many young people, it's like their hope and their dream for a better life and an affordable education. And I ended up getting into Harvard but it was not exactly what I expected, as as you might actually expect. <laughs> well, I love you have that moment, sort of, I would say you're hitting bottom, but there were so many sort of bottoms in the, in the trajectory of your story. But you have this one doctor who says, well, what about, have you thought about college? Or is that your plan? You were in this very wealthy area where everybody was there because you said it was part of almost like the mental illness sort of came out of the privilege being over. Well, maybe you could describe it better, but the doctor there was used to counseling kids who have had every intention of going on to Ivy League schools and all of that. And you hadn't really been on that track or thinking about that. And all of a sudden you're like, well, yeah, I do want that. I read all the time. I've memorized the Bible for God's sakes. Like, let me know. <laughs> like, yes, I, I should go to college. And even like when you were just praying that she would ask you again, you know, about college the next time. And then she didn't. And just that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I want this person to say this. And like, why are they not? Anyway, it was amazing. Tell me about that time. Yeah. So one of my hospitalizations I went to eating disorder treatment when I was 13. Actually, I had just turned 14. And before that, I had been pretty much with other like working class teenagers in psych wards where the doctors were like, you know, do you torture animals? Like those were the kinds of questions you would be asked. And it was so shocking to me to walk into this suburban hospital where everyone is your first approximation is like white and wealthy and I'm white, but I did not feel like I fit in with these people. And then just to be asked this question that really assumed that I had a future 
and that the ways that I was harming myself, they might not be evidence of my internal badness. Like maybe I was actually good and had potential. And unfortunately, readers will know that this moment, like it did not really last. It was kind of like a flicker of hope that I spent years chasing afterwards. It really did open up this possibility for me. And I think it shows kind of the the power of like, even if you can't be there for somebody all the way through the journey, like those small interactions can make such a big difference. So true. Oh my gosh. I had a friend who was in an eating disorders unit when we were in high school. And then I ended up working at an adolescent inpatient unit in college, probably as a result of that in part. So I'm very familiar with what the wards are like, because I was one of those, you know, undergrads who were helping out and your whole, the whole system of like rewards. And, um, you know, I I spent a summer there and I was just like, oh my gosh, like no one's going to get better here. Like, this is not, this is like not where the magic's going to happen. Like, this is just another place where they have to figure out how to get through and like, where is, how are they going to all get better? Anyway, I don't know. It was so, it was kind of depressing to be honest with you. So, which I know you felt having read, you know, your own experience being one of the patients and you know, the one person I felt like I could reach was like a depressed teen who, who was able to articulate and be like, I'm really depressed. Let's talk as opposed to, you know, a lot of it was, you know, oppositional defiant disorder and all of that. Right. And they just, they end up in there because I guess the society doesn't know what to do with them. I don't know. Yeah, it's such a big, it's such a big issue. And it's finally like 15 years after I went through this stuff, it's finally getting more traction where we look at, you know, how does being institutionalized like affect a teenager? And I was in a locked like facility for nine months that was like very restrictive, kind of like a prison, which was where I started studying for standardized tests. And I was like, you know, it seemed impossible to go away to college, but it also seemed impossible to like literally go outside because we were trapped in this place inside for months. And it, you know, it has a big impact on people. And I'm grateful that for me, it made me like so angry and be like, I like, you know, made me want to prove everybody wrong. I'm grateful that that's how I responded because a lot of people don't. Did you stay in touch? Like to this day, are you in touch with others you met along the way? I lost touch for a really long time. But then when I was writing acceptance, at a certain point, I started interviewing people And it was really amazing to see, you know, so many things that I didn't remember. And then also to see how similar experiences like affected us similarly. Because I think when you go through those places, a big part of it is just feeling really isolated. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a big part of writing acceptance was to figure out what is the bigger themes that were happening in my life in this story that felt so alone, like lonely. So I was just interviewing somebody from residential treatment the other day for another story I'm writing. And it's just, it's wild to see where everybody has gone in life. Wow. Did you feel there was some value? Like, how did you come? Like, was there, were some people helped more than others? Like, where did you come out? That's such a good question. I think that there is value, at least in making sure people stay alive. And a lot of people there were really at rock bottom. And I know it's a big, now that I'm kind of getting to parenthood myself, it's like, I have so much empathy for like the parents who are like, I, my kid is going to die if I don't help them. And so, and I think that there's a long way to go. And also that there's definitely 
places that are better than others and that are kind of doing the best practices. And that should really be like held up and like lauded. At what point in your life did you know this would be a book? When I was 17, I was like, I want this to be a book. Because, you know, we're talking about the like the mental health part of it and the treatment part of it, which is certainly a big part of the book. But what was so, so hard for me was to to try to write this like retrospective, like here's my life and here's what I've been through and then tie it up in this pretty bow. I just felt like it was so dehumanizing and gutting. And I thought there must be thousands of teenagers who have just submitted their college applications who feel exactly the same way. But nobody is talking about this. And nobody is talking about this kind of identity crisis that's happening at just such like a vulnerable time. Yeah. I mean, you say, uh, and I knew that you had said that the college essay had sort of instigated, but it's one thing to like have a lot of material and it's another to be like, and actually I'm going to publish this for the entire world, (laughs) which is crazy. So when you said Harvard was unexpected, can you give listeners a peek at some of the things that were the most unexpected? So (laughs) when I was like a teenager in Minnesota, and especially when I was living with people like my foster parents who, who thought Michelangelo's David was pornography and who thought like the biggest loser was high art. I just lost myself in fantasies of this place where it would just be filled with bookworms who were all exactly like me and I would totally fit in and everybody would be kind of nerdy and weird. And then I got to campus and... I couldn't even recognize the clothes that people were wearing. Like everyone was wearing these weird leather shoes, which I learned were called boat shoes Mm. because you're supposed to wear them on a boat. And people were just had amazing social skills. They were very polished. And to this day, I still really struggle with, with my classmates. Like it was impossible to tell if anybody liked me. And I had come from this experience of having these like rules and consequences And, like, really getting in trouble if I didn't do things the way that, like, the institution told me you have to do it. And then suddenly I'm at this place where it's, like, you need to be entitled to ask for what you want. And if you just know how to ask the right people, like, the world is yours. (laughs) So that was a huge, it was a huge, huge culture shock for me. That I, and it's, like, and I didn't even expect to be culturally shocked. Like, I think that that's really how little I knew about the reality of the Ivy League to not even expect that people would be different than me. Well, maybe it's better. You know, maybe yeah. then you yeah. wouldn't have gone or you would have not tried as hard or whatever. Who yeah. knows? You know? Yeah. Maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I could give advice to my younger self, I would have read How to Win Friends and Influence People a little earlier. <laughs> my mother gave that to me, by the way, as a high school graduation gift. Yes. She was like, you have to read this. Dale Carnegie, you must read it. So important. Did you read it? I started it. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I finished it. I remember starting it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know. Did you read the whole thing? I don't know. Oh, I loved it. I'm sorry. I, I loved I it. I was so charmed by like the titans of industry. And, and I think also if you're coming from like a dysfunctional family, I think like I had not learned the basic social rules. Like don't be a Debbie Downer. And learn people's name. Don't just say like, oh, hey, are you Ben? When the guy's name might be David. And so that was just so, so immensely useful to me. 
And I hope that if people read acceptance, like maybe they'll pick up some of those tips and tricks too. Like I would love that if a reader wrote to me and was like, oh yeah, I learned how to act at Yale after reading this book. Wow. Well, I actually have an an intern downstairs who is going to Yale in the fall. So maybe I'll I'll see what she takes out of. <laughs> I'll tell her to write you with uh, her, her feedback. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> no, she's doing like a two-week school internship and was like, can I hang out? And I was like, sure, hang out. You know, why not? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Anyway, I'm curious about your history with medication because you detail a lot of meds that you were on at different times, different treatments, and you're pretty emphatic about that that you did not necessarily need them and that it was your mother and her sort of warped view of the world and the fact that she presented is so, to, you know, competent. Like, why would people doubt her view of reality that it ended up having you treated for things you didn't necessarily believe you had and then medicated, which felt like just, you know, another sort of failure of the system, to be honest, as I read it. Um, but after that whole experience, like how do you, what is your view on medication in general or medicating kids and, and where you stand on medication now for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So between the ages of 12 and 14, I was prescribed more than a dozen psychiatric drugs in a, like, 24-month period. And it... I have complicated... It's obviously a very complicated topic. And I recently, as an adult, I went back and I took an antidepressant, which I felt was really helpful for me. And then, about nine months ago, I started going off of it, like, with my doctor's support and... It has been a really, really eye-opening experience, both of how useful it can be and just of how difficult withdrawal can be and how that can make you feel like you're going crazy, that process just in and of itself. And so as I write in the book, like my mom thought I had ADD. And so I was prescribed Concerta, 
which is a stimulant medication, I reacted like by panicking. And I was given another one. It was even worse. And it kind of started this spiral of like, oh, if this didn't, this medication didn't work, then like it indicates some other problem. And it was like two years until I was given like a full ADD assessment. And I wish that this was rare, but from talking to so many people and doing reporting in this space, unfortunately, it's like really, really common. And, you know, while meds can be super helpful to people, it also can, it's it's hard. Like once you start taking something, if you have an adverse reaction, it can be really hard to tell, like, is this kid freaking out because they are depressed or are they just really sensitive to Adderall? Right. Like today, I can't even drink decaf coffee. Mm. Like I'm that sensitive to stimulant medication. And so like looking back, it's just really, really sad to me to see how how many of this the things that were happening to me might have just been like a physical reaction. Like not only to having a, a messed up like home environment and mom dealing with mental illness, but just to the the ways that doctors were trying to help. Wow. Yeah. You write in the book about your dad becoming Michelle and how at the time this was like, like you said something like even Oprah hadn't had a transgender guest on at that point. You know, <laughs> Now, of course, it's much more part of the mainstream and we talk about it a lot. Tell me just how that felt to you at the time and how it contributed to your sort of sense of isolation. My family was very religious, as I mentioned. Like I was a state Bible champion for Bible memorization in fourth grade. And that was also the year that Michelle came out to me. And so, you know, she picked me up one day from my like parochial school and told me I'm changing my name to Michelle. And people thought that this was like going to be really, really shocking to me. But I had grown up like my dad was the head of the family, right? Whatever dad says goes. And so I was like in the headspace of like, you know, okay, that's what you say. Like, you are Michelle now, right? You (laughs) you use, like, she, her pronouns, like, and, you know, even in the Bible, like, God made Eve out of Adam's rib. So I was like, there's precedent here. (laughs) And I think, I think kids are just so much better at accepting stuff like that in some ways than adults, because I didn't have this, I didn't have all the same, like, ideas that other people had. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard because people did not have any knowledge about it. And there was either this assumption from people like at church that I was traumatized, that this was really bad for me. And then on the other side, there were people at like the public school that I went to after and people who were really liberal who were like, you must have a happy family with two smiling mommies. And I was like, that is not the case either. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There is a lot. You've gone through a lot. There's just like, it's amazing and impressive and you're so bright. And anyway, where are you taking this whole operation from here? I mean, what are you doing professionally? What are your thoughts on parenting now? All of it. I know you're, you know, tell me all of that. Yeah. I have been doing more reporting, mostly about like inequality, teen mental health, And it's been so wonderful to talk to other people and tell other people's stories. And I am also planning to hopefully become a parent soon myself. And I'm sure that I'm going to have a different perspective on everything I wrote about as soon as I'm a mom. But I feel really grateful to have had the chance to not only like tell my story, but to really 
figure out how some of the stuff like over-medication and institutionalization, how that is affecting young people, where, you know, we're starting to think about it so much more, but I don't think there have been enough stories coming from people who have lived it, Mm -hmm. who can kind of shine a light on that complexity. So I feel really, really grateful to to be able to kind of do that through through journalism and through some more essays that I've been working on. Are you thinking about another book? I would love to write another book. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my friends are going through, like, are planning families too. And there's some really, really interesting frontiers of mm. kind of like elective fertility treatment that's happening in Silicon Valley. So really? it's, yeah, like, yeah, like a lot of sex selection and stuff. Really? So, yeah, without giving away too much, it's it's kind of a 180 from what I've worked on before. But I think it's also very tied up in, like, these questions of what does it mean to have a child? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we best take care of our children? Like, what kind of expectations help versus hurt? So I'm just really, really fascinated by that whole world and that whole thought process. Yeah, totally. It was fascinating. Do you worry, or maybe worry is the wrong way, and I don't mean this to be like offensive in any way. Like, do you worry that some of the things that the mental illness that your parents are grappled with will be present like in your own children? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it took me a long time to be to be willing to kind of take that risk. Like I have people who have schizophrenia on both sides of my family. And, you know, and I think that there's a thing where being a parent is like is innately so so risky, but I have the privilege of having gone to lots and lots of therapy, which neither <laughs> of my parents really had. So I'm just like crossing my fingers and hoping that that is that that is enough, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. the good news is there are treatments that are appropriate for the situations and not just you know. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you you had like yeah. a, a BB gun full of like treatment like coming at you, but you know the proper treatment by by great doctors can really make all the difference in people's lives. Obviously, but absolutely, yeah. And I married the most level headed person in the world. <laughs> like he's truly just so stable. It's really really amazing. That's really great. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, Emmy, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your soul and your experience and your family and your life and all of it and your Harvard experience, you know, everything start to finish. I'm just really rooting for you and can't wait to see where you end up. I feel like there's a Pulitzer Prize in your future. And if you win one, you can say that I said this on this podcast in 2023 when you look back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zibi. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.